0: We want to put everything into a bucket, into a file. We want to be able to come across something, understand what it is, this is an orange, it goes in the bucket of how I interact with oranges and I'm fine. When you come across a person who you look at your buckets and you're like, oh, well I don't know how to interact with them because I don't know where they fit.
1: Welcome to The Race to Social Justice, a podcast that explores the myriad racial and social challenges facing the modern world. With your hosts Kiva White and John Kepner. Thank you for being part of the courageous conversation. because when it comes to combating social injustices in America, it is not about being
0: confrontational. It is about being conversational.
1: Good evening, John. Hey, Kiva, how you doing? I'm doing well this evening. Good to see you as always. Welcome everyone to the Race to Social Justice Podcast series. I'm Kiva White. As you can see, I'm the black guy. I've been this way for a very long time, and I don't think I'm going to change anytime soon.
2: (laughs) I always get a laugh out of that. You say that every time. (laughs) Uh, And I'm John Kepner, the white guy. Kiva and I share a love of the letter K, our common initial. K for Kiva, K for Kepner. But more importantly, our thirst for K knowledge, what Kiva calls the K factor. So Kiva, who's our guest tonight?
1: Well, John, I have the wonderful pleasure to introduce to our listeners today, and to you as well, uh, Clinton Drees. Clinton is an educator and advocator for the LGBTQ community, uh, especially as it relates to uh, you four members of this community. Uh, he is uh, Clinton is one of our senior training consultants at VIP community services and conducts uh, professional development training sessions for our clients in the school setting and healthcare arena, nonprofit social service agencies, and really focusing on best practice models for engaging uh, staff and service recipients who identify as LGBTQ. So welcome, Clinton. Um, I met Clinton several years ago uh, while conducting a presentation for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of uh, Philadelphia. And his passion really resonated towards racial justice. That was evident um, during our post-training uh, conversation. You know, John, like just like you and me, our relationship has evolved over the years and similar to that, uh, uh, Clinton and I have remained friends ever since our initial encounter, which was about three years ago. And I often call upon him when I stump, uh, uh, find myself stumped around how to address gender uh, and sexuality specific issues. Um, an example, Clinton provided consultations surrounding the appropriate use of language uh, to utilize on a DEI survey project that I was working on to make sure that we're gathering the right information from those participants. So Clinton, it's it's good to see you. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, your willingness to join us today.
0: Absolutely. Happy to be here. A little familiar with what y'all have been doing and think that it's great and wanted to support if I could.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And so, you know, this is a conversation and, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to, you know, learn from you and our listeners will learn from you as well. And please feel free to ask us questions because that's what conversations is, is reciprocal in terms of, uh, you know, this this dialogue that we're going to jump into. So let's just jump right in. Um, So I recall a a while ago, you know, in our initial discussions uh, around your lived experiences as a gay white male, can you share a little bit about how, you know, your social identities influence whether you experience oppression or privilege in our society? What has it been like for you um, as a member of the LGBTQ community? And am I saying that? Am I got? Do I have the letters correct? Because you know, I, yeah, I always you, mix that up. I always <laughs> you have, you have mix all the letters
0: in there. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, I just wanted to yeah, make sure. Okay, good. Go. Go. Um, so, uh, so that's always uh, an interesting question because I find myself sort of on the fence. On one hand, um, I am white and male, um, which is not a surprise to most of us in this country, affords me certain privileges. Um, And then on the the other side of the balancing act is um, being a sexual minority, identify as gay and or queer, talk a little bit about um, language there in a minute. but and then also being somebody who is uh, neurodivergent, I'm not sure if you're familiar um, with that terminology. Examples of people who are not—it's an umbrella term. So people on spectrum, people with um, you know bipolar um, disorder, these sorts of things are neurodivergent. They are not neurotypical. There are ways in which the brain has developed and functions that are different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, some of my, some of my privilege is, is very presentable and passing, um, you know, I'm, you know, similar to Kiva, I'm probably never changing colors in my life, at least not drastically to the point that uh, people are putting me into a different bucket. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, being male, um, I am somebody who presents as male, you know, how I dress, um, the fact that I can grow facial hair and uh, wear it, you know, I don't get misgendered very often um you know so it's it's interesting because there are some ways that i have access to privilege um very much so and then there are um other ways in which i am uh you know minority and have dealt with um various forms of oppression in my life and um being white and male also affords me um sometimes physical access so uh, like being in the locker room or being in the break room when uh, mm. only only male employees are in there. Uh, sometimes things are said um, not knowing who I am, not knowing what I'm about, and sort of uh, under the assumption that, you know, oh, it's okay. It's okay to say something really crappy, and terrible about people right now because it's in this enclosed space. Uh, so there's a there's a vantage point that I've had in my life of being in a room where people are talking about people like me, but they don't know that I'm part of that group. Uh, Um, so there's been different vantage points throughout it. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely recognize that with the privilege, um, of some of my demographics that I have had access and I have not faced the sort of, um, oppression and, um, different forms of bigotry that some of my friends and, uh, chosen family have faced. Because they might be uh, a gender minority, they might be a person of color who's also uh, queer, and um, yeah. So it's yeah. It's, it's been wow. interesting to look at. <laughs> over yeah. The years.
1: It's you know it's interesting how you. I really. I, I'm glad you mentioned that about um, the privilege part of being about being male and being you know a white male, and that you know this whole concept of race talk. And that's what I'm assuming that you 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 have uh, experience in addition, probably in addition to um, talking about you know when you're in a group and you hear people talking about um, people who are gay, and in 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 that you have the vantage point of actually folks not recognizing that you're gay. So I wanted to talk about like what does how what does what does and I'm not trying to be disparaging or anything, but what does gay look like? Like what because like you like you said you you they don't, they don't know you're gay so how would you mm-hmm. how would you how would you recognize that cuz i have had several encounters where i just misgendered someone because i just really didn't know i didn't know mm-hmm. and you know for example i would see somebody and i would I, you know they look they all look male gendered and then i would say you know sir or, or have a good day um, have a good day sir and then i would get this backlash for doing that so mm-hmm. what does how Two part question: What does that look like? What does it look like? And then, how would if somebody? Uh, what advice would you give to avoid misgendering someone? Um, so my
0: answer my my answer is in three parts. <laughs> nice. Um, the first one is, um, and, and something that I think is going to be really important for uh, the audience. Yeah, uh, we say the we say the LGBTQ community, um, but it's not it's not a singular community, and this yeah. is an oversight for various um, minorities in our society, whether they are sexual, gender, um, ethnic, national, uh, or racial. Yeah. yeah. So similarly, you know, uh, Kiva can't speak for all Black people, all people yeah. of color. Um, That's right. We 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 know that, and that would be a, that would be a. Uh, at least for me, I would feel that that would be terribly insulting if I went to Kiev and I said, hey, explain, explain this thing that yeah. I don't understand um, with authority across the board. So we are we're not one singular community and we are certainly not homogenous. Um, we are many communities. We are spread across many communities um, that outside of our um, sexual and gender demographics and you know the question of what gay looks like um kiva i don't know if you remember during that training what got us talking was you had asked a question about uh stereotypes yeah. and my response was uh you know what's an example of you know people using stereotypes and i chimed in oh gaydar this is not a term that kiva had heard before um, gaydar, yeah, yeah yeah but the idea that gaydar gay radar that you can that you can tell somebody is gay Um, I will tell you flat out, you cannot, um, there are, there's correlations that you may see in different, uh, kinds of body language. Um, there's a great documentary, I think on Hulu, do I sound gay? Um, so the language that you use, the tone that you use, um, I'm using my natural speaking voice right now, but if I found myself in a situation where I didn't feel safe or that was homophobic, If I need to, I can drop my voice a good bit, you know, make Mm. sure that my wrists are really locked in. No limp wrist over here. Mm. You know, there there are ways that I can pass Mm. um, and sort of protect myself in those situations. Um, I have met individuals who are uh, CEOs, professional athletes, um, to hairdressers, and um you know uh full-time drag performers the there's no one sort of term for what gay looks like um Mm -hmm. and you know even going uh you know traveling in uh europe and eastern asia for work traveling throughout the us in my journeys, it is it's really wide and broad so that's, that's one thing that I always want people to be cognizant of. Like, it, it's not something that I'm gonna say, oh, stop right there, cause you can't use the word community. Um, but we are far more diverse and complex. Um, mm. So what does gay look like? It looks like, it looks like everything, you know? If, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, you know, other than the fact that John referenced his partner and I think he used female pronouns, you know? I don't know if, if he, you yeah. know, was. I, I've yeah. met your partner, um, uh, who is lovely, Akiva. Um, you know, but from looks, anybody, any one of us could be, you know, you
2: No, know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You, you, you use the word partner. partner I was, yeah, I was mm-hmm. uh, talking to someone the other day that I was just meeting, and he mentioned his partner, and I automatically assumed right away that he was gay mm-hmm. until later on in the conversation, he mentioned her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's something new in my experience, because previously I didn't hear people refer to their um, heterosexual partners as partners, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, so that's something that's changed a, a bit at least in my experience.
0: Well, even within that, um, even within that example, you might have a male and female couple, um, but both of them could be uh, one could be bisexual and one could be pansexual. So it could still be a queer, um, Mm -hmm. relationship and could be part of the queer community, but may not present that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, thinking, thinking that, you know, somebody's feel just by glancing at them and who they're around, is always Mm going to be problematic, you know? Um, now as biological entities, we do that. We're constantly making judgments, you know, looking at, looking down an alleyway, is it safe to go through? You make a snap judgment that's formed from different parts, um, but if we're sitting and thinking and and, and really trying to uh, dig into it, um, that's that's where you got to push past for yourself. Um, mm. And then just with um, a little bit about language, I do use the term "partner" um, as a generic umbrella term for couples, um, or, or or not even that it has to be uh, two. I have friends who are polyamorous. Um, so they have multiple partners within their committed, um, relationship. Mm. Um, Kiva had mentioned about, you know, saying, uh, you know, good day, sir, or thank you, ma'am, something like that. I Mm. really, you know, in the, in this work, one of the big takes, takeaways is I try really hard to scrub out, um, gender assumptions from Mm. my interactions. So... You know, I uh, I was born in Virginia. We moved around a bit, um, but y'all has somehow stuck in my uh, vocabulary throughout <laughs> the years. You know, so yeah. y'all, um, you know, folks. Uh, sometimes I'll do that, especially if I'm addressing a queer audience, and spell it F O L X. Yeah. Uh, just thinking about, you know, is your is is the gendered language that we're using necessary, appropriate, helpful? Um, you know, if you walk into if you walked into a business scenario nowadays and called everybody who you thought was male "sport" and everybody who you thought was female sweetheart, you know, we see how language evolves and changes and understanding sexism in the workplace and how those, how that uh, those monikers aren't really appropriate. I think that in my journey through this and learning more about um, sexual and gender minorities in our society and culture and how they function and live um wherever I can take out assumptions of gender wherever I can, I can take out gendered language I try to at this point um yeah, now some people are going to push back on that and say oh yeah. I've been saying it this way mm-hmm. forever but yeah yeah that's what that's
1: what I was going to I was going to say that that I think it's I think it's a paradigm shift of thinking and and it, it just really mm-hmm. it comes for me the term cultural humility really lends to making this transition because it's, it's hard. Sometimes I slip up. So you know, I, I've tr- I've tried. Mm-hmm. I'm been trying very hard to consciously and cognitively be mindful that I may not know. So you know what my two words are now, my friend. That's because mm-hmm. I'm trying. And so you notice, know yeah. Clinton. I always say I call you because <laughs> my friend, right? I say yeah. thank you. Hey, my friend, how are you? And I'm really trying to do that in public too, because I'm just trying to create one a harmonious interaction with the person and two. Being mindful that I really because I have had a couple of misjudgments on you know mis- uh, because I didn't know because a person presented as male mm-hmm. right facial hair bandana the whole thing but the person was not male and they let me know emphatically and so I've learned from experiences like that and also you know being being uh you know your friend for over the years is that it's best to just try as best as possible to stay neutral and use like neutral terms. And so mine is, you know, when I'm done, thank you, my friend. I pay my, I pay my money and I just say, thank
0: you, my friend. Appreciate yeah. that.. So, so um, I like that.
2: I want to pick up on something a little divergent, but only a little divergent.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Did I hear you just use the word cultural humility? Kiva?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So I just heard that, read that word yesterday for the first time.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: And it was in the context of working with a um, diversity officer at a university that I'm involved with, who was helping me with a, a um, grant that I'm working on. And she sent me back some revisions to, to the to grant. And she used the word cultural humility. And I, I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. Many of our listeners may not know what that is. So could you just take a second and talk about that? And then we'll get back to, to Clinton. I just think it's a good learning
1: opportunity. Yeah, I think I Clinton. Think, uh, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of definitions out there to, to describe what cultural humility is. But my basic definition is really the humble willingness to learn and acknowledge and to engage with difference. And so it's, a, it's a humble willingness, a, a position of vulnerability to say internally, I really don't know. So let me humble myself. Let me open myself up, number one, to learn you know, to get information, to be, to be educated, um, because that's, what that's I think that's what I really appreciate about my relationship with Clinton, because I get a, like even now I'm learning about, but every time we talk and I'm really opening myself up to be vulnerable to learn about his lived experiences. And so that's, I think cultural humility is when you when wanna learn something about a different culture that's not that of yours, You need to humble yourself and it needs to be an authentic willingness to drop all that you know and all the social narratives that you have heard in society about whatever the group may be it may be about African Americans it may be about um you know the Latino or Latino Hispanic population my wife always gets missed my wife's from Guatemala but everybody automatically assumes that she's Mexican and so that's a social that's a that's an erroneous uh, social narrative or stereotype. And so we know what the social mm-hmm. narrative is today about Mexicans, unfortunately, because of the last admit. So I don't want her to be, um, you know, facing any discrimination from what's been said, unfortunately. But that's what ho- cultural humility is. It's really asking questions, engaging with people in an authentic way, with the end product of learning something new about a culture that you okay. really don't know about.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. So picking up on that, Clinton, <laughs> I'd, I'd um,
1: like
2: to, I'd like to hear about your early years mm-hmm. when you realized that you were gay and, and how that played out with your family.
0: Oh boy. Well, wow. <laughs> hey. um, stop me when I have gone on too many tangents, um, okay. but um You know, I I get asked the question from time to time, you know, when did you know? Um, And it's always an interesting question because, um, you know, my first response is, well, on what level are we talking? Because internally, between myself at an awareness level, um, middle school, probably, probably as early as fifth or sixth grade when everybody was um, you know, getting girlfriends and and I had girlfriends in middle school. Um, I just, you know, I got candy and presents for one of my female friends and we got to like hang out. Like, you know, it wasn't it was fairly innocent at the time. Um you know, on some level I knew that I was attracted to men. Um in high school. Um and this is, this is not an uncommon experience. Um, once again, I can't speak for everybody. Um, and I certainly don't want to uh, insult uh, the population I'm about to talk about. But in terms of my development, I had figured out um, growing up in a conservative, Catholic household, um, large family. Um, I think at 17, I'd figured out that I liked boys. And so at that point in time, I, I thought that I was bisexual and I was like, okay, cool. Girls are fine. I'm giving myself permission to like boys. And then it probably wasn't until I got to college when I, when I sort of realized, Oh, I like boys and I don't like girls. (laughs) Mm. Um, So the, you know, settling onto the identity of gay was in different pieces for me. It wasn't a, 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 an aha moment. I have friends who knew as young as maybe third grade. Um, I'm thinking of one close friend in particular who, you know, and had very supportive parents and was in California in a, in a pretty liberal environment. Um, so he knew as early as third grade and the, you know, the discrimination and oppression that he's faced in his life is, is very different than mine. Um, we both happen to be white gay men. Um, and if you added a third person who's, you know, somebody who's LGBTQ and a person of color into the mix, you know, we're all gonna have three very different experiences um, and processes. But I think for me, it took me longer um, because I was in a conservative religious environment. I uh, I did nine years of Catholic schooling, so I heard everything from explicitly being told I was going to go to hell for being gay mm. um, to you know, uh, my high school was an all boys Catholic high school, and mm. just one of the worst places you could have put a closeted gay kid. I mean. You go into one of the most homophobic environments because everybody at that school, regardless of identity, doesn't want to be mistaken as gay. But you're at an all boys high school, which is atypical for our our location and time. Um, So it just it really created one of the most um, explicitly homophobic. You couldn't change classes without hearing the word faggot. I don't think any time. Oh, yeah. And I'd say... Maybe only 30% of the faculty would interrupt if they heard uh, gay slurs in their class. Um, You know, there'd be some times where you know somebody would say, "Oh, that's inappropriate," Um, but by and large, it was it was fine to to belittle other people. Uh, At that time in high school, I you know I was in the closet, and so you know as long as I didn't get too much attention and sort of you know figured out how to keep everybody happy, I was okay. One of my classmates who was a year ahead of me, he did not have some of the passing privilege that I have. He's somebody who people look at and they assume he is because he is flamboyant in his uh, vocal tones, his uh, gestures, his language, what he talks about. And he had, I, I, I honestly don't know why he uh, graduated from there because he was a year ahead of me. But the things that I heard and saw books getting knocked out shoved into lockers um, and with and with very little support or or reaction um, mm. from the school mm. uh, so wow. that was <laughs> that was a, an interesting leg of my life uh, and then going to a liberal arts college and you know finding so many people who I think the first person in college I came out to was a friend and, and I told and she was a great ally you know she met me with that when I was vulnerable and opening up to her, she met me with affirmation, you know, thank you for telling me, I feel so honored. What can I do to be a better friend? You know, Mm -hmm. um, that willingness to learn, practicing a little bit of cultural humility there. Um, And then, um, and then she just asked, you know, "Is is this something that's well known? Is this something you want me to keep in confidence? And those, and that was, that was a really great response. That, sort of uh, looking only a few years before. And this was when I had sort of figured, I I thought that I was bisexual. Um, Part of the way that I survived high school was I just, I got very involved in service Um, and being in a, in a Catholic high school, there was a campus ministry department. Like I ate my lunches there, so I didn't have to deal with the horrors of the cafeteria and all boys Catholic high school. And um, I was literally telling a very close friend of mine um, that I thought I liked boys. We had done a lot of stuff in campus ministry together. We were very close friends and I'm literally sitting in a closet (laughs) Mm. on the corded phone, (laughs) trying to come out to a friend of mine. And Mm. her response was, you know, I'm ashamed. I'm so disappointed in you. How can you let this happen? Mm -hmm. Um, So as I'm, Physically in the closet, trying to come out. She's like pushing me back in. (laughs) Um, Mm. You know, so it's uh, and I feel like I've ran a little bit of a tangent here. Well, how Um, how did it? Some of those there's some highlights, I guess.
2: (laughs) I can see the progression of your coming out. How did how did it um, affect your choices? Did it affect where you went to college? Did it affect Did you look actively look for other men who were gay or who you thought were gay and and, and, and go back to my original question. What about your family?
0: Yeah. Um, so big family, you know, conservative family, both religious and politically, um, growing up and, and one element of it was growing up. I, the only time I had heard about a gay individual was a friend of my parents. My parents are, um, high school sweethearts. And in college, they had a friend who was gay who took his own life, sadly. And that was the only example of a real life gay person, not somebody on TV, not somebody in the community, but somebody my parents knew. Coming out to them, there was a lot of, it was really difficult at the time. Communication was really challenging. Um, I didn't have the language that I have developed over the years. They certainly didn't have the language framework understanding. Like I said, you know, my parents only experienced this, you know, somebody who died by suicide because of their um, sexual identity. So there was, um, it was challenging. And for a couple of years it was, it was pretty rough because I wasn't sure of um, where Certain members of my family stood in terms of where they support us, where they not. Uh, I had at that time started to. I didn't come out to my family until 19, um, and at that point in time, I was trying to come out to them. But before I did that, for me, I had to get into a mental place where if they pulled um, my tuition, I had a plan, you mm. know, before I came out. To wow, my parents, really? Huh. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, my parents were um, very supportive, um, and they've come a long way in their learning and language. Um, but yeah, before I came out, I, I had a plan that I would drop out. I would continue this job on campus. I would move into this housing. I would go to this community satellite school for a couple of years and then get back in and graduate um, from my own mater. That is a reality for a lot of individuals. And when you look at some of the research around it, um, you know, percentage of the population that's LGBTQ um, is challenging. How you measure something that people may not know about themselves is challenging. Um, but I usually say 10% of the population is LGBTQ. Um, When you look at the population rates for homeless youth, 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ. There are differences in the realities lived for young queer people, considerations, and they might have parents who end up being allies in the end. They may have parents who are allies, um, but don't know how to communicate that, don't know, know the language and whatnot.
1: Um
0: but it is, um, it's, it's a big thing to come out. And for, you know, anybody listening to this, I guarantee you know somebody who is LGBTQ. Whether they know it or not, whether you know it or not, there's just, unless you are a hermit, yeah. like, you know, there's somebody yeah. in your life that you've come mm-hmm. across well, sure. um, who is. Yeah. Um, can can, I, so can yeah. I ask you, go ahead, I'm sorry. Ahead.
1: I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, because I, I think it's going back to what I said about what does gay look like. So you answered that and then you just used the word queer. And so so help 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 us understand and those who are listening, what does does a queer person look like? Cause you know, you see somebody with purple hair, they may have the ring and you know, the tattoos and the, you know, the um the the plate earrings, uh, didn't you know the big the
0: gauge. Yeah. What's it called? They're called gauged ears. Yeah, yeah, the ears. Yeah. And
1: so is that, so when you see somebody like that, so some people say that's different. Like when I see it, I'll say that's different. I can't really put a label on it. I'll say yeah. that's different. But is that is that, would, would that be an example of, of someone who's queer? So it's two, two part. And then it's, does a person that is queer, does that necessarily mean
0: that they're also gay? So um, queer is a term and there are other examples in our nation's history, um, it's a very charged word, and for yeah. uh, you know, a long time had was, was was strictly pejorative. You know, 20 years ago, if I heard the word queer, I would assume that it was used in a hateful, um, you know, mm-hmm. manner. And um, that word has been, um, and, I, and I'm not a queer historian, um, but um, yeah. that word has been um, reclaimed, and it's a word that can mean different things depending on who you're talking to. For me, I use it as sort of a nebulous um, umbrella term. So for me, I identify as queer, that has to do more with my sexuality. I have friends who identify as queer and it has more to do with their gender. And I have some friends who identify as queer and it's both their sexuality and gender. The example you gave about, you know, somebody with purple hair, engaged ears and whatnot, you know, um, that might be something that somebody thinks like, Oh, I wonder if they are because they seem so different from me and how they dress or express, but you really can't tell based on that, you know, they could be walking side by side somebody in a three piece suit, um, you know, and that person is, uh, you know, straight as an arrow, which I don't even really know what that phrase means, but, (laughs) um, and the other person could be, you know, in a long-term committed, um, gay relationship. Yep. So, you know, once again, the, the look like is always going to be a little, uh, a little fraught, you know, there's no one, um, mascot or spokesperson. You can even look at people, um, you can look at, um, people who are trans and somebody, um, who is, you know, like Caitlyn Jenner, who has a lot of resources and has had a lot of privileges in her life. And her transition journey looks very different than somebody who's a person of color um from you know living in poverty trauma to, you know trauma in their background their transition is going to look very different um i use the example Caitlyn jenner not because i think that they're necessarily a, uh, a excellent role model or anything but just because they're a, more of a popular example Understand. i actually have a lot of issues with her politics um, but, um but that's, that's a separate uh,
2: <laughs> I think. follow-up question um mm-hmm. lg thank you for that G-Q. is mm-hmm. q different from LGBT, or so, um, is there a crossover?
0: This is uh, yeah. this is where we get into what I call alphabet soup. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's confusing
2: to a lot of people that casually.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. and it uh, it goes back to the way that our brains work. Um, we want to put everything into a bucket, into a file. We want to be right. able to come across something, understand what it is. This is an orange. It goes in the bucket of how I interact with oranges and I'm fine. When you come across a person who you look at your buckets and you're like, oh, well, I don't know how to interact with them because I don't know where they sit, um, is where you see a lot of people uh, stumbling over stuff. But LGBT, so you could say LGBT, you could say LGBTQ, you could say GNC. There's Mm. lots of letters that can go into it. But at its whole, it's really an umbrella term for sexual and gender minorities in our society. Um, for those, for people who may not be familiar, L is for lesbians, G gay, B bisexual, T trans. LGBT has been uh, around for a long time. Uh, I like using LGBTQ plus. Uh, queer is another. Um, I, you know, I've talked a bit, little bit about that word, and then plus one. is because there's there, there's other identities out there. Yeah. There's um, there's the, the queertionary, which is a dictionary of queer terms, that is, you know, printed out. I think it's like a, an 18 page document. What's it and, called? The uh, It's
1: like a queer dic- dictionary. dictionary? Yeah. Is it, it's a di- okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Like a, yeah. of terms of term. I'm not okay. sure. Queer I know I've come
0: across it in a few trainings. I'm not sure if it's a, a private or a public resource, um, but I can, uh, I can, I can at least look that up for you. Yeah. Um, that would be great. If not, I have oh. a copy of it. I can always send over.
1: Um, so.
0: I'm not sure if I lost the question though. In no, no, there you know. <laughs> no, no, you Oh yeah, good. yeah. Q. Um no, what, so, you what, know, Q can mean a lot of things. And GNC, you might see gender non-conforming. Sometimes yeah. you'll see I what with LGBTQIAA, the for intersex, and then um, the last two A's can be people who are asexual or people who are aromantic. Cisgender, wow, I see I that a lot. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I dot, 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 dot. I'm sure yeah, yeah. Cisgender, uh, there's,
1: there's, uh, Clinton. Mm-hmm. What's a what, uh, Cisgender, what's that? CIS,
0: I see that a lot. Cisgender. Yeah, so, so when a person is born in our society, a determination is made about their, their biological sex. I put that in quotation marks because really what's happening is either during a sonogram or at birth, a medical professional is looking at the um, perceivable genitalia and making an assessment on if this person is male or female. Right. So we have this, we have this idea that's a little fraught that everybody is either male or female. We know that there are people who are intersex. Uh, they're about the same rate as natural redheads in our country, uh, around 2%. Uh, people who are born intersex. Uh, may have, um, you know, hormones, genitalia um, from both of these sexes, and um, so I I don't like starting on a false dichotomy if there's only male and female. Um, Past that, um, so that that, um, sex and then presumed gender identity, I see a penis. So you must be a boy and you will, you know, you will be uh, masculine in your gender and how you express your gender to the world around you, how you talk, how you act, the activities you do, what you wear. Um, cisgender means uh, it's the Latin, I think it's a Latin prefix, meaning the same. And mm. so cisgender just means the determination that was made in the delivery room um, or wherever you were uh, brought into this world. Um, and that determination was made lines up and is the same as how you identify in terms of your gender now. So I was born a boy. I was born and somebody said I was a boy um, and that has not been an issue for me. I am gender. My my gender identity has been the same. The opposite of that would then be transgender, trans for uh, change. And um, I forget if that's Greek or Latin, but uh, transgender just means that the what somebody thought you were in terms of your gender identity, um, that has your gender identity over time has changed from what was originally dictated to you.
1: Okay, that was helpful, because I see a lot of people say I'm a white female who identifies as cisgender. But what you mm-hmm. just described is if you say you're a white female, that is doesn't it, shouldn't it end there? Why does it have to be a follow up who identifies as cis? That's where the confusing part for me comes sometimes. Because I'm, white, it I'm could a be, white female who identify as cisgender.
0: Yeah, um, because it could be a white transgender individual. Um, yeah, so okay. I, I think when people oh, use okay. cisgender, yeah. a lot of times people are, um, I think, in an attempt, or at least hopefully, an attempt for cultural humility. Humility. People are recognizing their privilege.
1: So mm, you know, okay. if
0: you have somebody say, you know, you know, I'm cisgender. And, um, you know, I usually that that's probably going to tie back into some way uh, of their privilege. That is not necessarily if you met, um, you know, somebody like Laverne Cox, who is, um, you know, a very famous uh, trans woman of color. If you saw her strutting down the street, you wouldn't know who she is. If you met her and started talking about things, you wouldn't know what her backstory is but yeah. there are ways in which that she has faced privilege uh, or that she, uh, well, she has some passing privilege um, mm-hmm. currently, but there are ways in which that, you know, you may not think that looking at her and her gender identity, that that is a source of, you know, discrimination or problems for her. Mm. John, you know who Laverne Cox is?
2: Yeah, I think I do, yeah.
1: I know you, RuPaul, you, I, I, I call it like the modern day RuPaul for me. Yeah.
2: But yeah. I think are, <laughs> yeah. Is there a um, gay male figure who public figure who you believe is a good spokesman and a a good role model for other gay mm. men?
0: Um. Are you? I I, I know many um, wonderful gay role models, queer role models, um, mentors. Um, are you asking for somebody that you know um anybody would be able to recognize? Yeah, like, a public a public yeah. figure. Um, yeah. public figure, yeah. That is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um it, I like I, I I don't know that there's like a model gay out there or a model queer person um everybody's life is different and what it means for me to live my life well is going to be different um you know from anybody else to varying degrees so you know I don't know that there's one person who I look to and I'm like oh yeah they have it figured out they're perfect like you know give them a microphone they can speak for me um there are a lot of people along the way um Uh, persons like Billy Porter is somebody who I really respect. Um, Neil Patrick Harris would be somebody else who, you know, I, from what I've heard, and I don't know these people, um, you know, interpersonally, but, um, two examples of celebrities, public figures who, when I hear them talk about stuff, um, for LGBTQ plus individuals and as sort of ambassadors that you have. You have to be at that stage. Um, those, are, those are two individuals that come to mind. Um, Elliot Page, um, somebody who I've known their uh, acting role um, for a number of years. and for those who aren't familiar, Elliot Page is um, a trans actor. Uh, I'm not going to use their form, their name that you might be more familiar with. That's something called dead naming. And when somebody who is um, in, in their gender journey, whether it's, you know, they're trans, queer, non-binary, um, at some point in time, uh, individuals feel that their name that was given to them doesn't match up with who they are. Um, so uh, there's a term called dead naming, which is using mm-hmm. an individual's dead name. So if you think about uh, if you are a trans person and you go to uh, renew your license, there might be a number of microaggressions that occur in that. Because what if you are if you haven't uh, done a legal name change, you might identify as male, present as masculine, but you know your name on the uh, driver's license and the paperwork is still Mary. Um, so there's all sorts of you know challenges that come with that and. States are a lot better. I haven't checked in a while. I think we're over a third of states that now offer um, a, a third gender marker on driver's licenses for individuals. Hmm. But um, wow, yeah, yeah. And once again, I'm not sure I, I started. No, so, no, that was good.
2: So uh, <laughs> the, reason I, the reason I mentioned that ties a bit to another question I want to ask you about um advocacy in mm-hmm. the area because because sometimes public figures um are spokespeople they're avo- they're advocates i was thinking when i asked the question i was thinking more a model for for a young person coming up and figuring out their sexuality and discovering they're gay and and they have role models to public role models to look to mm-hmm. for you know indirect support for you know this uh, but 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 on a macro basis um, they could be um, assisting in, in advocacy. Now, you, you're you an advocate, obviously, to me, just from your knowledge and the, the education you've already given us today, um, you're advocating. But um, could you talk a little bit about how you feel about advocacy in this area? Um, I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts about, it seemed to me that there was a, a, a dramatic shift when the gay marriage uh, controversy was in and suddenly, you know, now there is gay marriage, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. exactly suddenly, but it was quicker than I think a lot of people expected it. Um, There was a lot of advocacy around that. Could you speak to that issue a little bit?
0: Um, So in terms of advocacy, um, you know, I think some individuals, uh, like I can be an advocate um, in the, you know, in fighting racism. That's fine. As a white person, I, I would argue that I even have a moral obligation to do so. Um, one thing, one thought that comes to mind in advocacy is you have people who, you know, whether it is, um, you know, close personal thing, or it's a new pet project, people want to get in there, get involved. And you can have diversity. You don't have to, you know, your LGBTQ initiative doesn't have to only be staffed by LGBTQ individuals. Um, But, you know, just like if I I was talking on sexism or racism, I would be really cognizant as a white male of how much airtime I take up. You know, Mm. if I'm asked to, so there's times, actually, I think Kiva just asked me a question for a training and I was like, you know what? I could do that training you know, and I could do a good job with it, but I think a uh, trans person is just going to have a, 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 a tighter insight, a deeper understanding, and the issue is really um, the the ask behind the training was really about trans bullying, and I just felt like, you know, that really feels like something that one of my trans colleagues who do, does training should speak to as opposed to um, speaking for them in that, mm. in that respect. Um, you know, I can talk about racism, um, but if it's just a bunch of white people in the room talking about racism, are we solving anything? Um, are, we, are we doing anything? Mm. Are we engaging? Mm. There, there's some times where that is the right call because we gotta do our work and we don't wanna put that onerous on others. Um, also with an advocacy and, you know, for people who are listening and have a willingness to, to learn and grow, you know, it doesn't feel great to be reduced to one component of your identity, um, regardless of that, of, of, what that means. Um, and so there is, um, in doing this work professionally, part of the reason I continue to do this work with Kiva is because I don't feel it with him, but I've had other, um, contacts where I felt incredibly tokenized, where, um, Oh, you know, like, and I, and, and I certainly hope that it wasn't the case, but what it felt like to me was just like, oh, the gay guy will take care of that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in advocacy, um, you know, being careful, you know, not to speak for um, being cognizant of airways and letting people who um, have experienced it firsthand share their stories. And then, you know, tokenizing. Um, you know, I don't want anybody walking away from this uh, conversation thinking that um, I have all the answers. I I, I cannot speak for. Um, I I can barely even speak for gay men at this point, you know, let alone um, the the varying levels of uh, diversity and intersectionality when we start looking at individuals under this umbrella term. Um, And I had another thought. It'll come back to me in a minute. Um, But it's a great question around advocacy. It is. It's so important and critical to do the work, but you really have to practice cultural humility. Um, You know, I might travel to a foreign country, and I might want to maybe get a job there and support, you know, their economy in a way. Um, But I have to do that in recognizing and understanding that, you know, I'm I'm coming into a foreign context. There are other people who have you know, done this work, who have systems of meaning behind what they do. Um, And so, you know, I, I think anybody who is speaking on behalf of the LGBTQ community has to be very careful and cognizant of um, who they are and how they relate to that umbrella term.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Wow. I I think I I think um,
1: what you shared early about parenting and, you know, you I wanted to go back to that for one second. Because mm-hmm. you said your parents, it took a while for them. Paraphrasing, you said it took a while for your parents to come to terms with who you are and where you are in life. And I want, I wanted to know, did you, did you have like, uh what, what advice or what would you suggest to parents who might have just been informed, like tonight, you, there's, this there's, there's somebody coming out tonight on this very day, and telling their parents. Um, you know, that they're gay or that they're, you know, bisexual, or that they're queer, or that they're, they want to, you know, change their sex or they want to go, you know, transgender, like, and it's happening at this very moment and you get that call as an advocate. What, would, what advice would you, what would you give to that parent?
0: First, first and most important is that is an incredibly vulnerable act to come out to a parent and I have friends who have come out to, uh, one One of my friends, um, I shouldn't laugh because most of the story is actually quite sad, um, but at 45 came out to a seven-year-old mother um, who would only live another year, um, if I remember the timeline correctly. Um, regardless of when, it, when it's happening, whether they're small, big, old, coming out is a vulnerable experience, especially for coming out to somebody like a parent where there is such a big power differential. If you are a um, teacher and you have a student coming out to you, that's a really big deal because you're a teacher and you have a lot more power and authority within the mm-hmm. scholastic context than the student does. So first, this is recognized as a big deal. Um, and... I, I'm a big fan of, I, you know, I don't want to make things too complicated. So, um, I always go for, uh, offer a nice sandwich. You start with something nice, the bread. Kiva, thank you so much for, for trusting me, feeling like you talked to me. I'm, I'm really honored and floored that you opened up to me about that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. The meat of that can be whatever it needs to be. So for some parents, it may be I don't understand any of this. I need a crash course. You know, um, it might happen because somebody's coming out yeah. because the the child uh, has just had their heart broken. Um, they might be coming out to you because they're being bullied. So the meat may be very different. You need to respond to that uh, appropriately, um, but making sure that you end that conversation as well with another nice thing. Um, you know, Hey, once again, I just want, you to know, I understand this is important. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take my cues from you. You're in charge. I, I will not talk about this until, you know, you say it's okay to, um, you know, some, figure out some way to, you know, start with affirmation and support and end with affirmation and support. Um, mm. Because, the, the stuff in the middle is important, but it is the first thing. Sorry. Is the first thing that is said that will be heard and remembered over the years. <clears throat> and yeah. um, I'm getting a little choked up thinking of some of the, the less pleasant uh, responses that I got over the years to yeah. that.
1: <laughs> well, and that, so that's the, the reason why I asked that because we talk about we talked about in previous shows racial trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And how act, certain acts of race towards African Americans any 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 marginalized group, or can can be traumatizing, whether it's Native Americans, whether it's Mexicans over coming over the border, African any any marginalized group. There's this racial trauma that people need to understand that ha- that happens as the ha- as a result of these power dynamics that exist in society and and I can see you getting choked up uh in, in this conversation because I would only imagine that you're reflecting back to a situation where you felt uh, kind of disenfranchised internally and I I, I kind of I, I call that silent trauma and I think the silence of trauma like enduring it for somebody to hold on to something that they really need to share, but they're afraid to say something about it because they're afraid of the response that they will get. I can only imagine the internal sh- struggle, so to speak, that that must that must feel like. I can, you know I can only empathize with that just from my own experience with racial profiling. When I grew up in New York City as a seventeen year old, I still can recall some of those you know not so good encounters. I even have a. School a scar over, I think it's this eye, um, from when I was backhanded from a police officer for just running around in a school uh, on Columbus Day where some kids broke into my junior high school and there was, you know, mischief kids. I was about 11 or 12 years old and playing tag in a high school and the neighbor called and called the police and the police came in, you know, to round up all the kids and I was backhanded. And so I think about like, the overt traumatic experiences from racism and, and, you know, what we call racial trauma. But I wanted to, I wanted to see what you share a little bit about, you know, if you're okay with that, like the silent trauma, what I call the silent trauma phenomenon or the, you know, that piece that I can only imagine you holding, you know, people holding something in that they really need to share,
0: but I don't want to share because I'm afraid of what the response is going to be yeah I'm, I'm glad you bring up the t word um i think a lot of my work has really transformed in um studying and understanding trauma um i think i've really changed um in my own understanding studying a little bit about trauma um as you started that you kind of uh, i'm not sure if it was your intent be you sort of painted it as um you know somebody's coming out and being aware of trauma in their backgrounds um i i just want to say real quick LGBTQ youth are far more likely to experience trauma based on their sexual um, and or gender identities alone. Um, LGBTQ kids are twice as likely to be bullied online, uh, three times mm-hmm. as likely to be forced into having sex, five times mm-hmm. as likely to use illegal substances compared to their um, straight and cis peers before they graduate from high school. All three of those stats are from a federal, I think it was a 2017 federal study on high school uh, sexual identity and behavior. Wow. I was, I always like to be able to cite when I, uh, pull out that. Yep, yeah. Thank um, you for sharing that. But, uh, so, so, and, and with that, um, my thought was, uh, just to share with people trauma and there's a really great book, The Body Keeps Score. Um, I forget the author's name. Um, but if you, if you want to study this, that's a great starter for it, but trauma impacts, uh, our language center. So you sort of think about uh, like after a fire or something, uh, you know, emergency services are there and, and there there's victims who are, have blankets wrapped around them and can't really talk. Trauma impacts your language center. So um, it can be really difficult. Um, the example we were talking about coming out, your kid may only have gotten so far as figuring out that they need to get that one sentence out of their mouth. And they, they, they don't, because they are dealing with trauma, they may um, not have you know, sort of an un- academic understanding of their uh, gender and sexuality. They may not be ready for anything past that. Um, mm. It's just one sort of uh, caveat to look out for. Um, I think a little bit of uh, what you were um, working into was asking some of my, uh, asking about sort of my trauma with um, being a, a sexual minority, is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So see, I'm, yeah. I'm comparing racial trauma to a sexual the, the trauma that a sexual minority would would encounter. And I'm calling that silent trauma because most people like you just described can't find the words to say and they and they hold that in. And I can just only imagine what that must feel. Like. Yeah.
0: So, um, I mean, in my life, uh, some of my traumas were around. Um, Uh, bullying and that was mostly in middle school and I don't know if I was bullied because I was gay I was probably just bullied because I was different um but the fact that I was gay and the language that they used um really I mean that was why I was in the closet in high school um was because of those experiences Mm -hmm. um you know all of a sudden touch football at recess became um uh was it Spear the Queer, um, mm. where it's just like, all right, it, this isn't football, we're just, we're targeting somebody and we're all gonna pile on top of them, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I'll, share, I'll share an example, I'm not. It, it actually wasn't traumatic, but I think for um, it's an example of something people experience. Um, I have a lot of friends who have had issues, even living in Philadelphia, um where we have a lot more lgbtq services part of the mayor's office is dedicated there's the um lgbt affairs for the city of philadelphia we have resources pers- personnel um assigned to protect us <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um
0: i've had a number of friends who just walking through the neighborhood, meeting friends for a drink going out to dinner have had um, anything from slurs thrown out at them to uh, one of my friends was hit over the back of the head with a, um, a beer bottle um, that was thrown out of a, a moving car with some ugly language um, that came with it. I had an experience a couple of years ago. Um, I am in a LGBTQ sports league and play, uh, I think I was, playing, I was playing kickball at the time. And, you know, I go, I bike down and it's a gay sports league. So there are some short shorts um there's a lot of very fit individuals who are spending a lot of their time in the gym working through their own traumas Mm
1: -hmm. um
0: but i'm just walking up my bike and about to head over truck rolls through windows down and i hear faggot screamed out it was it was at me so you know what do i do i look up i i see the guy he's alone i don't see a weapon there's 200 very fit men behind me who, you know, if I call it, you know, if I, if I yell, you know, um, you know, and it was a really weird moment because um, while at a different point in time in my life, that would have been a traumatic experience for me, living, you know, being in a city, having queer community, having queer friends. Um, it was something that would have been really uh, triggering at another time in my life. But at that point in time in my life, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm bigot, I'm good, you know, and you mm-hmm. learn how to sort of walk away from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some, you know, examples that people might think of. Um, you know, yeah. I still to this day, you know, I love my boyfriend. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, walking in our neighborhood, I'm still, I, I am not comfortable holding hands with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it goes from there us is, being... Yeah just two guys walking down the street to feeling like, Oh crap, am I going to, it's a simple act of affection going to invite some nonsense that I don't want to deal with while we're walking to get a coffee or whatnot in the gay neighborhood, I feel differently about that. Um, but living in South Philly who, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm gay, this is not, this is not a secret. You know, Kiva always starts with, I'm the black guy. Um, like I'm the gay guy, you know, like (laughs) that is who I am. Um, there are ways, um, I think, uh, something that John had said earlier was how, how this impacted, you know, things like colleges, family or jobs. Um, it didn't change. I, I talked a little bit about the family stuff and it didn't change what college I went to. Cause I was already, uh, well on my way there when I had this figured out. Um, uh, but my first two jobs, I came out during the job interview.
1: Um, mm.
0: the first one was, um, an AmeriCorps program. It was run by nuns and they are some of the most dedicated, wonderful Christians that I've ever met. Um, And uh, the other one was to be a middle school teacher. And it was actually a priest that I knew who was interviewing me. I wasn't teaching religion because it was a federal grant, um, but the classes that I I was teaching, it was in a Catholic school. And in both those situations, you know, having the experiences where I was very involved in, in, in my church growing up, and then once I started coming out, I had peers. Um, I was told during confession uh, one time that um, this would be a path that would that would lead me lead me to damnation. Um, you know, mm-hmm. these sorts of things really. Um, broke down a community and a support system that I'd figured out and had sort of um, used to, to get through that period of time in my life that was a little difficult. Um, and then fast forward to I'm out of college. Um, and yeah, both in my first two job interviews I came out because I, I knew it could be a problem. and frankly, I didn't want to get my foot, I didn't want to get in the door and find out afterwards that it was. I don't know uh, you know as to and, and neither of you have uh have identified um as such, but um to presumably straight men, I don't know, have you ever come out about your sexuality during a job interview? Is that was that a safety concern that you had? Wow. No, no. Um you know I I
2: my biggest problem was uh not coming out as a liberal and a very conservative job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, another, I but I think I think that is so that is so that is so important, what you just said, because yeah. I never I never thought about it like that. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, so, yeah. you know I, yeah, we talking we talked earlier about um, privilege and oppression. And so that statement that you just mentioned, Clinton, I, both me and John as heterosexual males, that's a privilege for us, because yeah. I've never been I never had to feel compelled to talk about. Mine was always. Um, uh, am I com- my mine was a was I a competent enough black Mine was always race related. I had to always yeah. feel like it was a under it was an underlying uh, unspoken thing that I felt that I had to answer to in terms of my ability and competency as a as a, a, a African American male. But it was never um, something that I had to explicitly talk I mean uh, yeah just implicitly like explicitly like just come out and say it it was more like an implicit thing that I felt internally well I'm going on this interview I got to make sure I I I look sharp I got a Mm decent suit my hair's cut those things I needed to like consciously be aware but I never thought about what you just said that you know I didn't I didn't have to go and um you know say that I didn't have to say you know
0: my, oh. first teaching, my first teaching job, my colleagues who were married could talk about their wife, talk about their children. But if I was dating somebody, that was not appropriate. One of That's my interview true. questions yeah. was, how would you handle if a student asked or I think it was, how would you, how would you handle it if a student cited the Bible uh, to me about uh, being gay? And I'm just like, OK, well, one, I'm a, I'm a federal employee, so um, I'm not probably going to have a, a deep religious conversation with my students. Right. Yeah. Um, in in that role, um, you know, but two, it's 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 not really in that situation. I'm, I'm I'm the teacher. My personal life is is my personal life. Um, so I you know I I walked through it, but that was a curveball that I got on that job interview. You know, what would you do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and had to sort wow. of, in a way, justify that I wasn't going to be a, a gay problem for them. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. I had
2: a wow. situation where I recruited. Um, this is uh, probably around two, th- uh, two thousand twenty years ago. I recruited. I was back in my law firm, and I recruited uh, a group of intellectual property lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, didn't know that one of them was gay, but he was openly. I mean, he. he I, I found out from him or whatever, but I, I reconnected with him recently, and and he um, told me a story about his early days in the law firm, he's now with another law firm, but um, this was a small, but it just hit me. Um, it was our practice of our law firm when when um, uh, one of the law firm members, whether it was a man or a woman had a, a child, they, they got a flower sent to them, mm-hmm. a common thing, yep. whether the child was born naturally or adopted.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he had, he and his partner, they're still partners today, um adopted a boy who's now grown <laughs> a young man yeah and he was totally ignored.
0: Yeah
1: yeah he
2: was totally <laughs> ignored it didn't count yeah because it you know it became it was open you know the whole rest of the, the management of the firm whoever was in charge of that ignored and yeah. those yeah. those you know what 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 struck me about your story there um Clinton was was the um the courage that you need to build up. I mean the, the fact that you um you you analyzed it you felt you needed to disclose that you were gay in a job interview setting which which we wouldn't have to do took some courage despite all of those other experiences you had and had to deal with getting to that point of that job interview in your life. I mean so well, I don't yeah, think do think about that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And and the the first time it happened was was difficult. Um, and I managed to, to walk through it. But um, the nun that I came out to during a job interview, it may have actually been the reason that I got the job. So I mean, who knows? Like I was walking. Yeah, through they that, are you know?
2: they are wonderful. They, yeah, they really yeah. are wonderful. Women. I mean
0: I, I i had a I had a sister who threw a Dr. Seuss book at my head in the third grade, but. Uh, by and large the the, the nuns yeah. are usually a, about the work. Um, yeah. What well, that's you know
2: especially so the ones that are in service. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So I so I I would imagine and so you know I'm part of the black the African American church community, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, here's another a thing about privilege versus oppression. And and most African American churches there's a there's this double burden of you know you're you're at, if you're African-American male and you're gay, that typically is, is, is shunned upon in certain yeah. church community. And I know in, in, the, in the African-American community and in, in not all churches. So, and again, I'm not speaking for all churches. I just know the churches that I have attended, it was it was kind of like that's that's not, a you know, uh, using using certain con- condemning scriptures in the Bible to, to, to um, kind of profess why this is not the, you know, this is not what God wants for you. And, and so it's interesting to hear, you know, just the different, you know, from a nun versus maybe a pastor in the African-American community, how those viewpoints are looked at as it relates to what we're talking about tonight. Um, I think there is a, there's a book out by Kimmel and Ferber that I, I use in um, the course I teach at Rutgers. It is called Privilege. And in that book, they coined this term, the double burden effect. And basically, what that means is, when you look at race, when you look at any other the social identities, it's just that. Like, so for example, um, you have two 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 males that profess as gay, and and but it's it's, it's there's an even uh, viewpoint on society until you add the race component. And yeah. Clinton, you just helped us help to clarify that. You said, as a white male, you are afforded certain privileges. As a white gay male, you are afforded certain privileges. But in in the African American community, a uh, African American male is there's a double burden effect on that particular person. African American and Latino males, because of their their so their male and their um, their sexuality, but the moment that you add race on top of that. The race component yeah. creates a double burden in society. Do you, do you agree with that point?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think whether or not I agree with it is a moot yeah. point. And I, I think it is um, ob- objectively true. true yeah, <laughs> um, there, yeah, that's a good, good, good. good some good, people good, may great. not be familiar uh, with the work of Kimberlé Crenshaw, um, yep. but she is the activist and lawyer who I believe is credited with coining, coining the term intersectionality. Um, So just what Kiva was talking about um, and you can, you can look up uh, her stuff, you know, look up Kimberly Crenshaw and intersectionality on YouTube and you can get a good primer. Um, But yeah, absolutely. The things that I face as a white cisgender uh, gay male are going to be very different than somebody who is a person of color, gender, queer, queer sexuality, um, and i forgot what the other demographic i was comparing but uh, of course those are going to be different things of course those are going to be um are going to come because really it's the it's the intersecting it's the overlapping um that doubling effect uh, of bigotry Mm. and um you know whether it is and there are different um in my training i Talking about oppression, a lot of people have thoughts and feelings about, you know, what is oppression? What is an oppression? It's a very charged word, um, but it breaks down oppression into four levels: um, interpersonal, institutional, organizational, ideo- ideological, and then yeah. the last one and the and the worst form um, is uh, internalized. So, mm-hmm. you know, this mm-hmm. is not the you know, every couple of years, there's some, you know, notoriously homophobic politician, pastor, whatever, who is caught in a motel room with a young boy, you know, yeah. some, of, some of the most outspoken bigots um, are doing that, just like my high school, where, you know, everybody's, you know, using the word, you know, using the word bagot, and, you know, trying to prove how straight they are. Um, you know, some of the worst bigots, uh are that way and are so energized that way because they are hiding they don't know who they are um Mm. you know it's that it's that internal stuff but um but yeah no i i I, it it, it's absolutely true so the things that um you know and even a gay black man versus um a gay um mexican man face are going to be are going to be different, um, because of the ways in which prejudice exists against, um, black versus, um, and I'm using and I'm using black, but we know that not every yes. that every in person tone. of color that we say is black is black, um, but even uh, even under uh, minorities within persons of color, um, you see how these effects can, um, be greater than the sum of their parts. You see that also in a lot of Latino Latinx communities. Because the Roman Catholic Church is such a prevalent religious mm. um, force and authority, mm. um, you get a lot of, um, you know, I have friends from um, Honduras um, who, mm. um, they, it was not an option to live there as a gay male. They had to get out, and they knew that from very early on, um, and mm. the two uh, friends that I'm thinking of were fortunate enough to do that. Um, but we know there's a lot of issues with and uh, Im- immigrating into this country. Um, yeah. And so that is not something that's available for everybody. It's,
2: it's our standard last question. What didn't we ask that we should have that you think is really important for this in this context <laughs> of courageous conversations?
0: Yeah. When it comes to learning, I am not a fan of shouldn't and couldn't. Mm. Because learning is a process we are all different learners. We're coming from different places. Um, you know, one caveat that I'm gonna give is for people who are like, oh, this is really interesting. Don't, don't immediately run out and start peppering your, your one gay friend with 30 million questions and expecting them to, to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as an individual, have opted into this work. I have opted into this specific conversation Um, but there have been years of therapy and work that have gone into it to, Mm -hmm. to make me be able to talk about, um, this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, you know, just be cognizant that, you know, not everybody is in a place to do this. So asking people, Hey, would you mind having a conversation? Um, I'm feeling like I, I, I don't know anything about gay people. Um, and I'd like to learn. Um, I'm always going to encourage people. There's so many resources out there, um, yeah. and whether you are a parent um, looking for resources and understanding, there's great organizations like PFLAG, um, where you don't have to go to a meeting. You can just download some of the um, you know the online materials that are going to give you a framework, give you language to start understanding what's going on with your child. Um, there are. Uh, things like the Trevor Project. Um, if you have a uh, LGBTQ plus youth in crisis, um, there's a lot of different hotlines, suicide lines, uh, crisis prevention lines you can call. Uh, I like Trevor because I typically any any resource I give out I usually do a test run on, and uh, the two time the two test runs we did with Trevor just beginning to end was was phenomenal and was the kind of um, resource that I would want for, for me as a kid um, or for any queer youth out there. But yeah you know is there a question you didn't you guys didn't ask? Um, no there's, there, there's no right or wrong way to go about this work. you have to start from where you are. Uh, learning is messy and maybe you don't want to you know make that mess with somebody who hasn't uh, sort of signed yeah. up to do so but you know it's, it, you got to continue learning you know it's not one community it's not one answer. If you really want to be an ally, if you really want to support, you have to continue to learn and grow. Um, you know, I've been to a number of trainings and have read uh, a handful of books on, on racism and different uh, contexts to it, theories behind it, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, until I am a Black person or a person of color who is directly experiencing racism, um, I'm never, I'm never going to know what that, what that is. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's sort of a lifelong goal to continue to, whether it's academic or, you know, the conversations that you have, uh, with friends or peers or in appropriate professional setting, uh, you just gotta, you, you gotta go after and answer those questions. And that's part of the reason I agreed to be on this, uh, and mm. love what you guys are doing. Um, it's mm. not about perfection. It's not about a lecture or a fine speech, just working through doing some learning together and then sharing that with people. Wow, that's a, that's a good, I think that's a yeah, good I think way to wrap a,
1: yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, we learned a lot tonight. I really appreciate you adding your insight, your perspective, your lived experiences, Clinton, um, your, your knowledge around this, the research that, you know. I know you're, you're, you're very thorough when it comes to subject matter in general. And so I think uh, I know our listeners and those who are watching got a lot out of tonight's uh, courageous conversation. Uh, and so I, I want to just thank you for, you know, being a willing participant in this in this uh, journey, because it is a race. We're all running and we, some of us are running. Some of us are jogging. Some of us are walking. <laughs> but the whole idea is how much closer can we get to a, a harmonious and a, a peaceful society? It's just step by step learning, 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 vulnerability, opening yeah. yourself up to new ideas and, and just um, embracing in a difference. So, I thank you, my friend. I appreciate you, Mike. <laughs> you, You're your friend. very welcome. It's yes. nice to see
0: you because with the pandemic, yeah. yeah. I think it's been, it's like been two a years while since we've been to face to face. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes,
1: yes. We got a lot of work to do. Some, some good things are coming down the pike, and we definitely uh, will be in touch. So, thank you so much, Clinton. We really appreciate you.
2: And thanks, to our, thanks to our listeners. And uh, we look forward to bringing another in our courageous conversations to all of you out there.
1: Good night. Thank you so much, everybody. Good night.